Not really. I mean, I did towards the end of the journey, I realized, you know, I saw, looked back at my journals. I thought, you know, there could be a book here. We should maybe start writing a book. And I did, um, when I got home, I started, as I said, I started writing a book. Um, and then one guy came home, a friend came in one day with this book called Jupiter's Travels written by a guy called Ted Simon. He'd written around the world for four years and he was 45 years old. He was a uh, uh, Sunday Times journalist so he's an expert writer mm -hmm. and i thought like this i thought well i can never compete with that so i threw my journals in the drawer and forgot about the photographs and forgot about everything and it was only really as i say until four or five years ago I realized well what he experienced was maybe have been down the same roads that i was on but i was 21 he was 45 he did some money i was living on a shoestring so it was a completely different experience done the same same areas um and certainly you know that's the book i wrote, wrote in the end was completely different to, to his uh as i said it was more of a coming of age learning about myself whereas he's you're middle-aged you've been down there done that listen to the vibes Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Listen to the Vibes, and I'm very honored to have Mr. Chris Donaldson here, and uh, we're going to learn all about his journey and about his book, Going the Wrong Way. So before we kick everything off, Chris, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hi, Kyle. It's great to be here, too. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, what, 60-odd, 60 on 60 the mid-60s from Belfast, Northern Ireland. I was brought up, brought up in the troubles, as we called it. Basically, it was like a little class civil war in the seventies and eighties. I was a teenager, went to school in the middle of Belfast in the seventies, which was a dodgy enough place to be, even compared to America. Uh, there's bombs going off, bullets flying a fair bit. Though I never got too caught up in it myself. Um, at an early age, I decided I want to get out, go to Australia. So I uh, bought a motorbike and for years and planned to drive across Europe, across Asia, and then fly to Australia or ship to Australia from, from India. So I left 79 and um, my motor goes to on the, an Italian motorbike. And I got as far as London from Belfast, which is about 400 miles. And then the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini decided to take over the American embassy in Tehran and the Islamic Revolution kicked off. So that was about the end of the trip east. So the uh, only place I could go was south because it was coming into winter. So I headed to South Africa, went through the Middle East, drove the bike across the Sahara, down through Africa, uh, got a job in a sailing yacht, coming back to Europe, flew over to the States, got the bike shipped to the States and drove around up to Canada, across Canada, down through the east side, uh, stopped in North Carolina for a while, then through Texas and through Mexico and then South America. Uh, it's about a year and a half later by this stage. Money was tight. Uh, the bike was falling apart. I got sick and ended up broken in Argentina in 1981. So it was a bit of a uh, an epic voyage. But I ended up, I was sort of writing a book about it afterwards. And then another guy put me at the post and wrote a book about riding around the world in a motorbike. So I gave up my journals and just put them away and forgot about them for 40 years. And then about three years ago, I decided to finish, publish a book. Um, and it's 
for somebody who's never written anything but a check for many years, uh, it's turned out to be a bestseller on Amazon. It's gone really well. So last or two years ago, one of my mates said to me, well, you never actually got to Australia. Why not give it another go? So 63 then. I suppose it was 21 when I first set off the first time. Um, so I decided, well, if I'm going to be the same guy, I might as well use the same motorbike. So got my old motor guzzi out of the garage and got her fixed up. It's now 44 years old. And so we set off to Australia. Um, still got a job and got a family, so we could just disappear for a year and a half anymore. So we did it in two weeks stage, stages. We'd ride for two weeks, come home, leave the bikes, come home for two weeks, for two months, and then go out again. So it got held up a bit with COVID and various other misdemeanors. Um, my buddy decided to give up halfway. Well, this is we got to Israel, in fact. He came home, which left me in a bit of a quandary because it was his idea to go in the first place, and then he gave up. So I ended up going on my own through uh, Greece, Turkey, Iran, uh, through Pakistan to India, Nepal. and finally got to Australia in March there. So the only time I think it's probably the longest half circumnavigation of the world. It took me forty three years to get from Belfast to Australia. So wow. uh, it's a bit of a bit of a epic. epic it was great to, be, to finally get there. I think if I got there when I was twenty one, I probably would have stayed and got a job, and who knows what would have happened. It's just one of those things in life you wonder. Some something outside of your control can change your whole world, and you end up going into a completely different direction again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you mentioned the Ayatollah. I remember when the they had taken the hostages there in Iran. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the same time. That was the same time. That was uh I was actually traveling through the Middle East at that time, so it was fairly uh tense because the whole area was all up in arms, but very nervous about the whole, the whole situation it was in Israel, tried to get out of Israel into Egypt and they wouldn't let us cross the border. So I had to ship back to Cyprus and went to Syria, which was not much better than it is now. Uh, it's very dodgy. Lots of militia, armed militia running around through Jordan and got to Egypt that way. So it was a very roundabout way to get to Egypt. Uh, another instance of going the wrong way. <laughs> and it's sort of, uh, it's quite a good type of title for the book, obviously, because left for Argent for Australia and ended up in Argentina. You can't get much further wrong than that. But I've realized through my life that I have gone the wrong way various times from choice um, because I felt that you rather than going the normal route, you can have more fun going the uh, taking a different route, taking a more difficult route, taking a, a less travel route, less travel, as they say, the sort of a frequented term uh, which the people love to use, but actually going the wrong route is it is wrong you're going to have a hard time you're going to maybe fail you maybe get hurt or injured whatever but you'll get much more out of it you know it's a it's a makes setting yourself challenges and uh, getting over obstacles it makes makes a trip worthwhile yeah uh, it's funny and i think it was about halfway down africa I realized that i didn't actually know where it was going because it's not like today we've got internet if you want to find out wherever anything is you just Google it in your phone, you know. And those days you'd you'd guidebooks and the guidebook was probably out of date before you got it anyway. Um and my guidebooks were all for Persia and for India and for Pakistan, whereas I was going down Africa, so I really didn't know where I was going. 
but again that was part of the beauty of the journey because it was traveling for the sake of traveling rather than traveling for a destination and 99% of the time you go traveling you're going somewhere you know that's why you travel you're going to work you're going on holiday you're going you're going to a destination and the travel is just a bit in between whereas mm-hmm. I was actually not really interested where I was going I didn't know anything about the place it was just a appointment on a compass I was actually just living day to day enjoying the the, the journey as a, as a um as a, as an experience which is a bit, a bit like life really you know you're well, we're all going to the same destination but you really got to enjoy the journey there a lot of people um spend their lives looking forward to what's going to happen and they get next week they get a pay rise or they get a holiday or something's going to happen that's in the horizon they forget to enjoy themselves at the moment you know mm-hmm. and didn't you worry that maybe you'd get maybe picked up and thrown in jail or something and your family would never see you again? No, I was 21. I was invincible at that stage. <laughs> you can do anything when you're 21. Superman. <laughs> that's, why, that's why they fill, fill armies up with 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds because they think they're invincible. You don't think they'll never get hurt, never get injured. Um, but yeah, it was just certainly a, a, times in Africa was especially challenging uh, crossing the desert, going through Sudan. It's in the news now. Obviously, 40 years ago, it wasn't much better. The south of Sudan was was in trouble then. There was various wars going on in Africa. Uh, Uganda just got rid of Idi Amin. You remember him? Oh, yeah. I remember him. Uh, he fed all his politicians to the crocodiles, which is probably about the only good thing he did. Yeah, he, wasn't he known as a cannibal as well? Yeah, he used to eat them as well. <laughs> so he just, he just, he was still around the countryside somewhere. They didn't know where he was, but the Tanzanian army had just kicked them out. Uh, the trouble was they hadn't been paid for two months, so they were pretty uh, difficult characters as well. So, yeah, it was I ducked and dived a few civil wars. I got through Rhodesia just after independence, just after they got a, a, a home rule or independent rule turned into Zimbabwe. South Africa had a apartheid going on. Mm-hmm. And South America yeah. was was in Colombia in 1980, which was just when Mr. Escobar was starting to shoot it to his stuff, you know? Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's funny when you could, it was very interesting. Basically, I was doing the same journey effectively uh, that I did 43 years ago, at the age of 64 to 21 on the same motorbike, um, comparing how I felt about things like that. Now, and it'd certainly I'd be much more cagey, careful what I would do now compared to when I was 21, you know? <laughs> uh, although some would say not that clever, not that careful. <laughs> I, I'm nervous just going into the city. I couldn't imagine going around all those different countries. I, I'm, well, everybody, everybody's, the unknown is part of the uh, fear, I suppose. I mean, I remember South Africa, we were, we scared stuff of going to South Africa with apartheid and all the rules and regulations and the police presence and the troubles, the rats. Whereas it was, I got to, got to South Africa and guys were saying to me, you're from Belfast, so that must be really scary. And I'm going, what? <laughs> it's nothing compared to this place, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's part of fear of the unknown, I suppose, a lot of it, isn't it? Well, then you have that sense of accomplishment. Every time you go through a, a different country, I mean, look what you did, and you you made it out alive. 
Yeah, that's quite impressive, really. I suppose it's anything about it. I'm quite impressed about that sometimes myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did some I did some very stupid things, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> but uh, no, it's I mean, it's in the same way, uh, things aren't as bad as places you, your fear sometimes takes over your head, but other places like Iran was the place that stopped me going too straight the first time. When I actually got there this time, I was able to drive up to the American Embassy in Tehran. It's still there. It's, all, it's a museum now. Um, but the people in Iran were fantastic. They were the friendliest people I've met on all my journeys, I think. Um, they would, anytime you stopped direct, ask them for directions, they would get in their car and drive you where you wanted to go. Wow. You know, they would once put you up in their house. They would, a couple of times, they stopped for petrol, filled up, and they wouldn't take any money. They said, go and enjoy our countryside. And, you know, have a good time, you know. So it's um, we get preconceived preconceived ideas of what places are going to be like, and you go get brain freeze nearly. And then very often they're the places that they're the most friendly. Yeah, I don't think it's so much the people that I worry about as I worry about the government. You don't know what the local police are like, or you know what the government's going to do to you. Most most folks are just friendly folks who want to get along. Yeah, and certainly in Iran too, the, the police were you know were a worry, and there would be checkpoints, regular checkpoints around the place. But yeah, uh, one of the nice things about a motorbike is everybody loves motorbikes, so they're interested in motorbikes. And armies and police are full of young kids, young guys, and they all love motorbikes. So it's a, a stop you know, so you for, usually um, talk them into being a reasonable sort of make out you're a reasonable guy and they'll break down the barrier a bit next thing you know you're ha- having a cup of tea with them sitting having a joint talk one stage in Iran I was stopped at the side of the road and a guy pulled up in a tank um, a truck with a tank in the back of it and he started asking me about the bike you know and I said uh, well, I can't really you know so bikers do that sort of thing they sort of kick the tires and ask you how fast it goes and so on you can't really do that with a guy in a tank <laughs> so, right. uh, he took a took a selfie. He took pictures of me. And I sort of took a picture of him beside us, and then drove off. And I realized I'm driving through around with pictures of an army tank in my phone. If I get stopped with that, I'm going to be in serious trouble. So I managed to delete it. I thought I deleted it, of course, but it was still on the phone. So I was able to retrieve it when I got home. But uh, silly things like that can get you into trouble. Certainly, you know. Yeah. So you took a lot of pictures, though, when you were younger, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, a lot in those days was probably 500 over the year and a half. Whereas now, of course, you again, it's so easy with your phone. You just stop away and you take yeah. thousands of pictures, you know. Uh, I try and talk to my daughter. And she's young kids now are getting these, going back to the films, the old films, just to give you the, the old fashion quality of camera. It's getting quite popular again. Of course, I got a daughter a, the old ca- the camera with twenty four film pack film in it, and she's zapping away. <laughs> so, Hang on a minute, that's, <laughs> that's about thirty quids worth of film you used up there. You know, <laughs> you can't just delete them. But yeah, there's a lot of things have changed. Um, technology's changed. Um, it's one of the biggest changes. People are the same, but the internet's made a huge difference in the world in the last forty years. You know, I think Polaroids are coming back. Yeah, they're quite trendy too, you know. Yeah. They're like retros retros trendy. 
Yeah, I I like the fact that record albums are coming back. Yeah, until you have to keep changing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many uh, different versions of uh, the White Album have you gotten over the years? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's it is strange. People, you could use to you could use to the modern technology, like I mean, Google Maps. You know, you yeah, you don't need maps anymore. You just have your phone. If your phone, you pick a hotel in front of where you're going to pick a find out what this where's place to eat is whatever you need to know you've got it there whereas when i drove into uganda it actually drove off off the edge of my map i didn't have a map mm-hmm. for further south so luckily i met a guy coming up north so we swapped maps i got his map for south africa and he got mine for north africa otherwise we didn't know really driving off the edge of the world you know which is probably a good thing at the time because not knowing where it was going was actually, if I'd known where it was going, I probably wouldn't have gone there. <laughs> did did you happen? Was... I'm sorry, but did you happen to run into anybody else from Ireland while you were out there? Uh, yeah, I ran into a few people. One of the stories, um, when I got to South Africa, I couldn't get a job there, couldn't get, couldn't get out. I thought it was going to be the end of the journey. We managed to get a, was a sailing yacht came in on a yacht race and there's an Irish guy on board. He uh, hurt, his, hurt his leg when he was off shore, on shore. So I got his spot in the boat, got a free ride up to back to Europe and the shipping company shipped me back to the States. So it was quite a opportune moment. But the guy, he was from Ireland and he was going back to Belfast. And remarkably, three months later, I actually bumped into him in the street in Belfast or in Donegal, just the other side of Belfast. I thought, I know you. I saw you in South Africa three months ago. And he said, hey, God, Chris, how are you doing? I'm going to get in touch with you. And we ended up, he worked He worked with the same company for six months. He, enjoyed, he stayed, stayed, he was an Australian guy with Irish parents and he came back. So it was a, it's a funny sort of uh, coincidence like that happened along the way. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. <laughs> and they, the shipping company, they just swapped out one Irishman for another, huh? So, uh, yeah, and they said to me, uh, I said, well, what am I going to do with my, motor- my motorbike? And he says, well, we'll send it anywhere in the world. And I said, well, uh, where are we going to go? So basically looked at the man and said, well, what do you got in America? And he says, Los Angeles. I'll be there in three months. It's perfect. So I picked it up in three months. So some things just fall in your place. That looks a funny thing. Some things would fall in your place. All the things are disaster. Like I went to Israel, couldn't get out. The border with Egypt was closed. Border with Jordan was closed. Mm. And then uh, last year, when we went back and follow up, went through Israel again. And it was pretty cool. I met one of the guys that stayed with forty years ago. I haven't spoken to him since. So it was pretty weird meeting somebody you haven't met for forty years and asking them, "Well, how's your life been?" You basically your working life's pretty much pretty much over. How do you get on and find out what you're been doing? It's uh, it was a great feeling. But not a few old guys I got having the book. Uh, writing the book has made quite a change to my life. In fact, because uh, I've been out of motorcycling for ten or twenty years. Really, the bike was just sitting in the garage. Oh. Um, but the bike has taken off. Um, so well, I had old friends that I haven't seen for 40 years riding to me, emailing me, wanted to meet up. So I met a couple of guys that I used to hang around with. In fact, one of the guys I stayed with in Australia finally, 
There was a guy who went off in 1978 on a bike trip around Europe with. And uh, last month we were able to drive around Brisbane together and he's still got his motorbike and I got mine. So it was pretty cool too. Was your family ready to lock you up? They think he was crazy? Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a, it's been, I mean, the first trip was, I sort of was 21. It was like a coming of age, coming of age road trip. Uh, I learned a lot of things about myself, learned how to motivate myself, how to get through things if you want to. And generally, you're in, you, know, you may have friends, you may be married, you may have a family, but most times if you're in trouble, you have to get out of it on your own. You've got yourself to, to blame and to to be responsible for yourself. So I learned how to look after myself that way. And uh, this journey is, I guess it's at the other end of the scale, not a, the coming of coming of age story, the coming of old age story. I'm now sort of looking at retirement and seeing what I can do uh, with myself instead of, you know, I've always been fearful of retirement, sitting in the garden, watching the grass grow and playing golf once a week. And, um, see a lot of people not have much fun so it was nice to be able to prove that it was still you can still do what i did when i was 21. i'm comedian david race in los angeles i host a celebrity filled paranormal talk show like no other monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions you won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. But yeah, that sense of accomplishment when most people their sense of accomplishment is just re- getting to retirement age. I've, I've been to Mexico and that's probably the, the longest journey I've ever taken other than going across the United States. I'd love to get out and see other countries. And, and by the way, how many, how many uh, cuss words did you, uh, did you learn along the way? <laughs> I just always use the same ones. <laughs> I'll read in different the Irish languages. Language has a, the Irish language has a great uh, vocabulary because we're just enough to stray in uh, any Spanish or the other ones. <laughs> we'll use plenty. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, uh, it was a great trip. And I suppose, let's say, writing a book, um, yeah, I managed to finish school, but it was always at the bottom of the class in English and bottom of the class in. Most things are never very uh, academic. My uh, old English teachers would be pretty shocked to find I've written a book. Did a couple of online courses and you know did a bit of studying to learn how to how you actually go around writing a book. Um, but definitely, if, I mean, I say everybody's got a book in them. If, and I would say if I can write a book that turns out to be a bestseller, anybody can, and it doesn't have to be about writing. A, everybody's got their own journey that they're making. Everybody's got a unique story, you know. Um, but writing, getting to publish, well, self-publishing again is another, um, another experience. Learning how to do that again. One of the wonderful things about technology is, forty years ago, it was much more difficult. You had to go to a publisher. You had to um, be a known writer. Really, it was very hard to break in to get a book published. Whereas now, anybody can get on Amazon and 
publish a book anywhere in the world, you know, it's it's quite incredible. Yeah. Changes. Yeah. And then if you wanted to, you can actually write your book right there on your phone. Yeah. While you're on your journey. It's, uh, it's amazing how uh, technology has brought us that far. Who would ever thought one day you'd hold a computer in your in your in your uh, palm of your hand, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it says as much computing power in, a, in an iPhone as there is in the all of the computers that sent the man into the moon fifty years ago. You know, mm. so there's quite. And what's happening now with AI is uh, going to be the next generation, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a little scared of that myself. I'm, I don't want to mess with it. Well, I was reading the other day that I mean, we've been using it for a long time. I mean, spell check. I couldn't have written a book without spell checker. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. Which is it's, it's artificial intelligence as well, you know. So we have been using it even without knowing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not trying to spell duck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you learned quite a bit on that journey because I was I was watching the video that you you made of your little introduction, and uh, you'd gotten stuck in the sand and learned a, a little trick how to get out of it. Yeah, well, forty forty odd years ago, the motorcycles were were different. The adventure type motorbikes hadn't been invented. The uh, the power stock car just started. I think the first one was in seventy nine. Mm -hmm. Not really started the sort of trend. People buying motorbikes, which are made to go on or off road. My bike was um, so a coffee racer, roadster. Like it was made for firing down motorways and showing off, you know. Um, not for cutting across deserts. So by the time I got across the desert, I didn't, the front wheel was bent. The forks were, well, the shock absorbers were all shot. Um, I don't know why that thing didn't blow up, but it was uh, people and I. Uh, got fixated about having the right gear, the right motorbike, the right car for a particular form of transport. You know, nobody goes cycling without having lycra gear on anymore, whereas nobody goes on a motorbike without full sets of leathers and color coordinated helmets. Whereas in our day, we just did it with a pair of shoes and a pair of jeans, you know. Uh, but the bike certainly suffered a bit um, getting across the desert, going through dirt tracks through Africa. Um it had to be rebuilt a couple of times rebuilt a couple of times when we got back. But uh it's amazing. It was forty five year old bike, forty five year old car would normally be in a museum, so it was a pretty impressive piece of machinery that it was able to actually do the trip to Australia uh forty five years after it was built, you know? Mm -hmm. Like between the two of us with a combined age of hundred and nine. <laughs> but scary <laughs> and and you rebuilt it before you left how hard was it to get the parts for it well the nice thing about pre-technology stuff or older stuff is that um, something breaks down it was made in the 80s or 70s you can take it apart it's all pretty you can see with your eye or anybody with a bit of mechanical knowledge can take it apart and repair it or get it repaired and fix it and get it back on the road again. Mm -hmm. I sort of learned to learn to how to do that on the way. But modern machines, you know, first of all, you need a computer to plug into it to find out what's wrong with it. 
And then whatever is wrong with it, you can't fix it because it's a solid state piece. It has to be replaced. You can't, you don't, people don't fix anything anymore. You know, it's like your washing machine breaks, you throw it away and buy a new one. Mm-hmm. Something breaks in your, your, your car. The mechanics just take it out, throw it away and put a new piece in. Whereas with the older machines, you could actually see what was wrong and get it welded or get it repaired or rewired or whatever, you know? So, um, Liam, a friend, he he left on a new motor guzzy, and they, there's a, one of the brake wires broke for the ABS, and mm. he couldn't fix it because a slight, such a slight voltage difference would have stopped the brakes working. So he had to drive for two thousand miles with all the headlights, all the lights flashing on his dashboard. <laughs> couldn't fix it until he got a new new piece to replace it. You know, whereas the Mike bike, you just got your screwdriver and rewired it. So there's there was advantages there's advantages to the older stuff as well. So yeah, I mean it's um, I suppose if, if anything the first trip taught me was motivation and um, I think traveling on your own teaches you a lot as well. When you you brought up with your family, your friends, your um, your neighborhood, you're sort of fitting in with fitting in with what's going on around you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. It was like traveling on my own because you could discover what you really you can be yourself. You don't have to rely on anybody else. You don't have to listen to anybody else's point of view. You can really do what you like. Um, so it's quite a special way to travel as well. There are hardships with it as well because you you can get lonely, you can get stuck, you need somebody to help you. But um, generally, I think it also helps if you if you go into a bar on your own you keep talking to somebody but if there's two of you going into a bar or restaurant you're not going to meet anybody else because you're talking to each other and very often if you're traveling you want to you want to find out what the culture is meet people talk to people it's much easier on your own as well you know mm-hmm. outside of the the journey that you took what's been like the biggest hurdle in your life Hey, bar and grill fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby! Well, one of the, uh, I suppose, one of the biggest hurdles I've been in my life. I've been in business for 40 years. I've been in retail, I've been in IT, I've made, made mobile apps in Dubai for 10 years. Uh, I've been in fitness, been in property. And about 12 years ago, during the banking crash, the banks took over all my property business, basically made me bankrupt. So I spent the next five years or six years uh, self litigating against them because I couldn't afford a, a lawyer. Mm. So to learn how to to stand up in court in front of a judge and talk to these guys when they're they've got um, an expert lawyer standing talking to you knows all the law you feel very insignificant and uh, out of severe lack of knowledge against these guys but I was able to motivate myself to keep going and eventually got my properties back and was able to sue them get some money back off them as well and I certainly know that if I hadn't learned how to motivate myself and uh, Condition the brain to be patient and to drive. Don't take no for an answer. Um, 
in the likes of the journey and made through Africa. If it hadn't been for those experiences, I wouldn't have been able to keep going against uh, one of the biggest banks in the UK through my properties back. Wow. I'd say that was probably my biggest hurdle to able to cross. Um, as well, I think it's, it's your, your youth and your, what things happen to you when you're younger, you can, you, what you learn carries you on for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was certainly one of the hardest times. Mm. Did you ever think on your journey that you would inspire other people to follow their dreams? Not really. I mean, I did towards the end of the journey, I realized, you know, I looked back at my journals. I thought, you know, there could be a book here. We should maybe start writing a book. And I did, um, when I got home, I started, as I said, I started writing a book. Um, and then one guy came home, a friend came in one day with this book called Jupiter's Travels by a guy called Ted Simon. He'd written around the world for four years and he was 45 years old. He was a uh, uh, Sunday Times journalist so he's an expert writer mm -hmm. and i thought like to this and i thought well i can never compete with that so i threw my journals in the drawer and forgot about the photographs and forgot about everything and it was only really as i say until four or five years ago I realized well what he experienced was maybe been down the same roads that i was on but i was 21 he was 45 he'd got some money i was living on a shoestring so it was a completely different experience done the same same areas um and certainly you know that's the book i wrote, wrote in the end was completely different to, to his uh as i said it was more of a coming of age learning about myself whereas he's you're middle-aged you've been there, down there done that but yeah um some of the um reviews i've had have been awesome um one guy wrote to me he's from hospital bed he was his son was having repeated surgery for his back and a lot of pain and he was able to tell me that reading his reading my book to his son and telling him about the, the obstacles that i had to overcome uh was able to inspire his son to say if he can do that i can get ready i can get well too so he's actually wrote to thank me for writing a book so it was quite uh awesome to have that experience you know it's a you know it's, it's a great um, very touching for any author to get a good review and quite a, insulting to get a bad review. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, anybody gets a don't, don't give me a bad review, I'll cry. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I've had some tremendous uh, feedback, and as I say, it's a um, motorcycling world is very, uh, very sociable, and I've really I've got friends all over the world now, from uh, especially from since the book was published and meeting up with new guys. Um, from Italy to Australia, it's, it's been tremendous. But one of the reasons, the other reasons I wanted to challenge myself, I guess, too, is about five years ago, I got uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's. Yeah, I read about, which, I read about that. Uh, which can always be very debilitating. Uh, so, yeah, in a way, I wanted to challenge myself to do it before I wouldn't be able to do it. And uh, ironically, I found, it was, luckily, it was the opposite from yourself. I found that motorcycling actually helped me with the, with the symptoms that um, you would have thought holding on to handlebars and bumping along roads would have been quite difficult, but actually it seemed to calm the muscles down and concentrating on one thing, focusing on a, keeping yourself alive maybe, <laughs> um, was enough to 
to to uh, help the symptoms of the, the disease. So it's, it's actually surprisingly beneficial. Mm. No, I mean, it was, it was, I say I was doing the same thing as I was doing 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I think I, I could do 800 miles in a day, you know, I could ride all day and go out and party all night, you know, whereas now I go ride sort of a third of that distance and I just want to go to bed for a little bit of hot cocoa <laughs> and get a good night's sleep, a good shower, you know. But uh, yeah, there's a, a few aches that I didn't have 40 years ago, certainly, but nothing as bad as what you got. You got. <laughs> Hey, but, living uh, living on the edge for me is staying up to ten o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah, but yeah, you do what you can do as long as you push yourself to your limits. And uh, you say you don't want to. I don't think you're, they say you never die. You never think, you never regret what you did. You just regret what you didn't do. You know. Yeah, true. Um, but again, the problem was we wanted to go to Australia. It was going to take three months riding to get mm. there. So what do you do? There's, there's always a way, you know. Um, we're able to uh, say, okay, we'll leave, drive for two weeks, leave the bikes in Athens, and then we'll go to Israel, we'll leave the bikes in Dubai. Uh, and then Pakistan, it's easy enough to find somewhere, find somewhere safe to leave them and come back in two or three months' time. Um, COVID was the other problem, of course. Uh, going through the countries just at the end of that. But it was an interesting time. The sense nearly seems quite surreal what was going on three years ago already. You know, it's, it's amazing how quickly we get used to the norm of COVID. Now we're used to post COVID, and it's all just a memory now. What's mm. such a weird time? Well, no, you say you have a 15 year old, but do you think that you have uh, motiv motivated them to want to do something in life? I, mean, I don't know what it might be, but I think so. I think. I think um, she's very, they're both very dedicated, um, passionate about what they do. Uh, one's in uh, judo and one's in dancing. So they're both quite different, all different traits. But I don't think it matters what you do, as long as you do it with your whole heart and your whole passion. Um, do it the best you can, you know, um, whether it's dancing or riding a motorbike. You know, you, you get pleasure from doing something right doing it well and succeeding in the challenge whether it's riding to to, to dallas or to whatever or across the country or across the world it's the chief sense of achievement that you push yourself to your limits and being able to succeed in doing what you set out to do um do you have a website yeah website's chrisdonaldson.world but the, yeah. big, the best place to buy the book in the states probably is in, certainly on amazon it's on paperback it's on audiobook and uh, Kindle as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience. I'm just trying to write another book about the last trip I did as well, but not so many things went wrong in this trip because I got a bit wiser with my old age, slightly. <laughs> um, and they say, you know, the best books when lots of things go, the best stories when things go wrong. Nobody wants to hear about stories when everything goes right. You know, <laughs> I know what nobody you wants, mean. Nobody wants to hear about Juliet getting married to Romeo and having lots of children and living ha happily ever after. You know, <laughs> somebody has to die, somebody has to get sick, or somebody has to do something. You know, <laughs> but uh, no, it's been a great. Uh, it's uh, the big things have been a great experience, and 
Yeah. Looking forward to the next challenge. Oh, and what about your social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, Chris Donaldson and going the wrong way. It's a page on Facebook. Uh, and on eBay, I'm on Instagram. Thank you so yeah. much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. And, and uh, when the next book comes out, let me know. Well, we can have you come back on and talk about it. I'll certainly do that. And if I get to Austin, I'll give you a shout. I also want to thank all of you out there. If you are new to the channel, well, please hit that subscribe button. I hope you'll come back. And for my regulars, you guys are awesome because you make it possible for me to do this. Till the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.